Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Um, let's, uh, let's open up God's Word this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So stop right there. This is, if you're new to church, this is a, a section of scripture we would call the gospel, okay? And the word gospel just means good news. It, it means I've, I've got some good news for you, and we would say, like, I've got a gospel for you. I've got, I've got some good news for you, and this is the good news. He starts right here in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, have this mind among yourselves, is literally like your thoughts, like what you're thinking about, right? Um, have, you ever, have you ever asked somebody this question? What were you thinking, right? Kind of like what my wife is going to ask me after I just sang, you know, quoted that rap song uh, when we get home. But what were you thinking, right? I spend most of my day asking other people this question. Usually the people are like three feet and under uh, in my house. But I'm always asking my kids, right? Like they'll do something, and my first response is just like, get you around, it's like, what, what were you thinking? Like, walk me through the process. Like, like you did this, and like, you know, walk me through your thought process, right? I, I used to ask uh, I friends in college and out of college, like, you know, you, 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 make some, uh, you make some of your best and worst decisions in college and the first few years you get out of college, okay? Like, you make some of your best decisions, some of your worst decisions. And, uh, and if it wasn't somebody asking me, it was me asking somebody else, what were you thinking? Like, walk me through that process. And how many of you know, like, we ask ourselves this question a lot too, right? Like, what was I thinking, right? Like, uh, did I really just do that? Did I really just say that? And uh, this passage tells us what Jesus was thinking. Like, if you were to wonder, like, what goes through the mind of Christ? Like, what does he think about? What does Jesus Christ ponder and consider? Um, this is going to tell us. This tells us what's on the mind of Christ, all right? So, so look at, like, verse 6 with me. It says this, Who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, all right? So, like, this is a crazy mystery. Like, this is amazing because here's, here's basically what it says, that Jesus was the form of God. He was a human form of God, all right? So I want you to just wrap your head around that. Like, Jesus Christ came to the earth, was born um, of a virgin, like, came into this earth in a miraculous, 
Holy Spirit-filled, only something God could do way. And Jesus came to this earth that way. But when he came, he came as God. Like everything that God is, Jesus is. Everything. Like everything we say about God, his character, his nature, we can also say about Jesus. But here's what's crazy, is that Jesus was God, but he didn't count equality with God as something he should have. So like, so like I want you to think about that mindset of like, um, like he was willing to take the cost of becoming a human. Like that's what that means. That means that even though Jesus was God, even though like not only was he God in all of his characteristics, but he deserved everything God deserves. Like all of the worship, the adoration, the holiness, sitting on a throne. Guys, Jesus deserves all of that. But the mind of Jesus, if you looked at Jesus and go, Jesus, what were you thinking? He would say this, well, I was thinking that I, 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 didn't, I shouldn't grasp for that equality with God. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't cling to the throne. I shouldn't cling to the, the hundreds of millions of angels worshiping me. Like that wasn't something I should cling to. Instead, I should release it and let go of it. Like that, there is no other God like, that, that can claim that. Like there is no other religion in the world that has that type of God who would literally let go of everything that they had to come step into our world. And I know now we're thinking, like, we've got nice stuff, right? Like, you know, well, Jesus, yeah, he could enjoy a, a Tesla, you know? Like, Jesus, he'd, he'd enjoy, like, some of the nice houses we have, you know? Well, first of all, it wasn't in God's wisdom to send Jesus, like, during this time. So he didn't have all of those luxuries. But also, like, like Jesus, like, we think we got it good here. We think we got some comfortable, cool stuff here. Man, this is nothing compared to the presence of God, like nothing compared to his presence. And Jesus left something that was greater to come into something that was less than. And all at the same time, claiming and being who he was, which is God, okay? So that's what, that's what that verse means. But for us, like we're sitting here today and you're listening to this and you're hearing this, and these are words, okay? Like these are just words. You're hearing it. Okay, wow, God had all this treasure in heaven and he left it to come down here to this earth like as a man but fully God. But for Jesus, these weren't words. This was a reality. He took what was best and splendid and surrendered it to show us his great love. Like that is good news. What other God is putting himself on the line? Every other, like, world religion, every other, like, uh, world spiritual philosophy requires something from you. But Jesus, the story of Christianity, the story of Jesus, actually says we can't require anything of you because you've got nothing to bring to the table. So instead, God said, let me go on their behalf. Now listen to me, church. That's not a slight on you. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying that's the reality, right? Like, we're just not good enough. And uh, if we were good enough for God, that'd be a sad God. Like, that'd be a God that was not worthy, just to be honest. 
But like our God is worthy. Our God is holy. And he stepped foot into our mess and into our world. But let me tell you what his motive behind it. His motive was not to control people like robots. His motive was not so that everyone would worship him because he's some self-arrogant, conceited God. His motive was love. His motive was love for you. Like, he loved us so much that he did this for us. Look at verse 7. It says, but Jesus emptied himself. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That word servant, like, is kind of a nice word in the English language, but it's like original Greek meaning is literally bond servant, which is like slave, okay? And the difference is, like, it's not just a servant, like someone who, oh, well, I'm a servant. I want to serve you today, so I'm a servant. But, like, a slave, in other words, had no rights, like, gave up their rights to be a servant. And he said he was born in the likeness of men. And the thing that sticks out to me in this verse, in verse 7, is that he emptied himself. Like, he emptied himself. Jesus was, like, fully God. But instead of, like, knowing that, instead of coming to the earth and being like, hey, you guys bow down and worship me. Hey, don't talk to me that way. Hey, watch your tone the way you talk to me. I'm God, man. Hey, bring me some food. Like, don't you know I'm hungry? Y'all are supposed to take care of me, man. I'm God. Instead of doing that, Jesus emptied himself. He gave of himself. And that word empty is literally what you would think of. It, it, don't think of it as like, a, like I spilled my drink. Look at it as like I took my drink, took the lid off, and spilled it out on purpose. Like looked you right in the eye and said, watch this. Boop, there it goes. Completely empty. And guys, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus emptied himself of everything he had. The fullness of God. Everything that you could imagine about God emptied out, poured out because he loves us. Because he wants us. And, uh, and he did this by taking the form of a slave, becoming like a human. I mean, I know we think we're pretty advanced creatures, right? Like, we're humans. And there is something to be said of that. Like, we're made in God's image. So we're, we're pretty cool people. Like, like we, are, we are made in God's image. We are pretty advanced uh, in creation. But for Jesus, who spent an eternity, like, in the throne room of God in heaven, this was a step down, okay? This was like, this was not a lateral move. Like, he humbled himself, emptied himself. And uh, look, look at verse 8 with me. It says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. And if you're taking notes, I want you to just underline that part where it says he humbled himself. Because I want you to notice that, like, no one else humbled him. Like, nobody humbled him. There was nobody on this earth that could match his power. There was nobody on this earth that could, that could like, have more authority than him. Like, there was no, like, nobody humbled Jesus. It's not like Jesus came as God and then other people, like, he let other people humble him. Listen, those Roman soldiers who nailed him to a cross did not humble him. Okay? 
when they buried him and put a rolled a stone over his tomb and put Roman soldiers out there, they did not that did not humble Jesus. Jesus humbled himself because nobody else has the power or can match the beauty of Jesus. And so there is none of us who could humble him. Only Jesus could humble Jesus. And so Jesus humbled himself. So how did he humble himself? <clears throat> well, he did it by dying. And, and not just dying, but dying on a cross. And you guys see the cross behind me. There's a, a cross hanging up behind me. Now I want you guys to see like what the point is of this. And I think there's two things that are happening here. One is the physical humiliation of the cross. Like the Romans used the cross as a humiliation tactic. Like this was something that they would do for their enemies and, you know, they would nail them to the cross and then what would happen is they would lift the cross up and they would do it on hilltops so that anyone who was walking around would look up and see people hanging on a cross, usually stripped down, naked, beaten, like, like just for days, sometimes for weeks, like just hanging there to one, intimidate the citizens or the enemy, and then two, to just humiliate the criminals, to humiliate the people that were there. So one, there's a physical element of the fact that Jesus, Jesus gave himself to die, but look at how he gave himself to die. Like, he went through the most utter humiliation that was available to him at the time, and that's how he gave himself. But then there's a spiritual element of humiliation. And the spiritual element is he humbled himself so much to die that when he died on the cross, there was a spiritual thing happening too. And like if you read the Bible, you'll see like there was so much happening when Jesus died on the cross. Like it wasn't just a one event. There were like earthquakes and darkness and other people being risen from the dead and cemeteries coming alive. And like there was, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Um, and so like we think we're crazy for Halloween. Like that, yeah, it's a gospel story. It's crazy, man. And so it's like doing this thing, right? And, and I, I look and I think about that, and I'm like, man, there was, something, there was something more happening on the cross than just a man who claimed to be God that died. What was happening on the cross is that Jesus, in his humanity, as a man, was being humiliated in death, but as fully God, he was paying the price of the punishment for all the bad things that you and I have done. That's what spiritual was happening. And listen, the only one who is perfect enough to forgive us of our sins is the one who came to take care of our sins. Like, he didn't send someone in his stead. He did not, like, tell us, just keep trying harder. Like, one day, maybe you'll get it if you just try hard enough. He said, I'm tired of watching you try. Like, it is painful for me to sit here and watch you try. And so I'm just coming down, and I'm going to do it myself. I, I mean, I just want you to imagine that, like, what Christ went through to do that. And, um, yeah, so let, let's keep reading um, uh, verses uh, 9, starting in verse 9, Philippians 2. Verse 9, it says this, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. Okay, so like underline that word, and most of the time that you're reading the Bible, you sh anytime you see the word therefore, you should underline it. 
because it's telling you what the previous passage was there for. Thank you. That was very good. Um, but hey, I'm preaching, okay? All right, yeah. No problem. Uh, <laughs> so let's read verse 9. So therefore, so because of all of that, okay, because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, so what? Everybody say, so what? So what? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that amazing? So therefore, so why? Why did Jesus do all of that? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus become a human like us? Why did Jesus suffer all the temptations that you and I face, but did it perfectly? Why did Jesus then give his life for us? Why did Jesus choose the cross? Why did Jesus allow himself to die? Why did Jesus humble himself? Why did Jesus love us so much? Why did Jesus allow his body to be buried for three days? So that God would highly exalt him. So that all the nations and all the world would see that there is no God worthy but Jesus. So that everyone would see that the name of Jesus is above every other name. That, that, that Jesus himself is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And do you know how we know this? We know this not because of his death, but we know this because of his resurrection. His death, if Jesus stayed dead, then just add him to the list of other possible religions that could emotionally help you. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, Jesus Christ, in the same way that he humbled himself, picked himself back up and walked out of the grave. And he didn't just do that and play a massive game of Marco Polo. Like, hey, come find me if you can. I'll hide, you count. Like, it wasn't like that. Jesus stood around for 40 days, the Bible says, and walked around the earth and met with hundreds of people, had meals and shared meals with people as the resurrected King of Kings. Like, this is who Jesus is. If Jesus only humbled himself, then just add him to the list. But Jesus not just humbled himself, Jesus exalted himself. And Jesus said that, that he is worthy for you to put your trust in. And see, guys, here's the thing. Other religions may help us feel better if we die. But Jesus is someone that you can trust while you're still alive. Like other religions may give you a piece about what happens to you if you die, but Jesus is here now. Like Jesus is alive today. Like Jesus is with us in this moment. And he couldn't be with us if he was still in the grave. And so I, I love this. And I love that it says in verse 10, because he has this name, at his name, every knee should bow. And I want you to just underline that word every. Every knee should bow. In heaven, I want you to wrap your head around that. That at the name of Jesus right now, everyone in heaven 
is bowing down to worship Jesus. Like, I want you to just imagine that. Like, we're here, and we're worried about, like, what we're going to have for lunch, and we're thinking about our work week, and we're trying to figure out how to make that spreadsheet work, and we're over here trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, put batteries in a swing set for kids, and, you know, we're over here trying to do all these things. And meanwhile, while we're doing all of that, there are... There are myriads, that means hundreds of millions of people and angels and creatures right now in heaven that are obsessed with worshiping Jesus, that are bowed down in worshiping him. But I want you to hear that those aren't the only people that should bow down and worship Jesus. It says in heaven and on earth. Isn't that amazing? Jesus doesn't just deserve our worship when we die. Jesus deserves our worship now because he is not going to come alive one day. Jesus is alive today. And so we worship him now. And not just worship him through singing songs. That, that bow, like every knee should bow, that's a heart posture. That's not just a we need to physically get on our knees and bow, although we should. Like this is also how we live our life. Jesus humbled himself, poured himself out, emptied himself and because now he is alive and he has shown himself to be truly God now we empty ourselves out now we bow our hearts now we humble ourselves and we submit to the lordship of Jesus so I love it man at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth what does that mean well that would be like in religious language, it would be like a place called hell. It would be the place where we will be eternally separated from God if we don't know Jesus. It's a place where we will spend separated from him. And they use the phrase under the earth because this is actually a poem. Okay, This is actually like Paul writing kind of some poetic language and poetry. But what his point is, is that even people separated from Jesus forever will worship Jesus forever. Like, I want you to hear that, that every knee will bow down and worship Jesus in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. So the question for us today is not, will you worship Jesus? That is not in question. You will worship Jesus. I will worship Jesus. Every person in Fredericksburg and Northern Virginia will worship Jesus. The question is, where will you be for an eternity to worship Jesus? That is the question for all of us that we all have to answer. And so I want to exhort you, I want to encourage you, I want to beg of you, urgently plea with you, worship him now. Worship him now. While there is breath in your lungs, believe in him today. Trust in him today because he is alive and he is worthy so i would say that's good news amen i would say that's good news so because of that good news what are we supposed to do how are we supposed to live <clears throat> what would it look like if today you trusted in jesus and and said now when i leave this place what do i do how do I live this out? So Paul, who's writing this letter, his name is Paul. Paul actually writes out and has another therefore. So look with me in verse 12. 
he says, therefore, my beloved, and I love that part because Paul is writing to the church, and remember Philippi, the church he's writing to, is, is a small house church smack dab in the middle of the Roman Empire in Macedonia. And, uh, and they're, they're sitting there, and, like, and he writes to them, and he just says, like, all this we just talked about Jesus, and he says, therefore, so because we're all going to worship Jesus, because he is worthy to be exalted, because he has humbled himself, because we shall also have that mind, my beloved. In other words, he's saying, I love you. I love you. And usually that's what somebody says before they're about to come down on you. Right? Hey, man, I just want you to know I love you. You know I love you, right? Yeah. You, you, got, a, you got a booger on your face. All right? Like that, that's kind of how it goes, right? And, uh, and so this <clears throat> is what Paul says. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of wrap this thing up. And I'm going to share with you three things we can do because of the gospel. Because of who Jesus is and because we worship him, here are three practical things that Paul says we can do. And the first thing is we can work out. We can work out. Not at Planet Fitness, not at the gym, but a spiritual workout, all right? Because of what Christ has done, it says work out your own salvation. Now, this is crazy because a lot of people read this, and they read it as if we are, like what Paul is saying is save yourselves, okay? Like work it out. Like in other words, provide your own work for your salvation. But hear me say this. This is not what Paul is saying, okay? That is not a proper understanding. If it was, he would have said that a few verses ago, all right? But in fact, he said the opposite a few verses ago. There was nothing you could do, so Jesus humbled himself, all right? So now he says, but something you can do is work it out. In other words, strengthen your salvation. Strengthen your salvation. So <clears throat> you don't have a part to play in saving yourself, but you have a part to play in following Jesus once he has saved you. And I love that. I love that this is a relationship. Jesus doesn't just say, I saved you and you're done. Have a great life. I'll see you in 80 years. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, well, yes, I saved you, and now we have this relationship. Like we have this intimacy, this closeness together. And so he is going to work with us as we work out our relationship with God. And I love this. He doesn't say work for it. He says work it out right? And there's nothing we bring to the table. In fact, everything we would bring to the table as good works, Jesus is kind of like, you know, a, a kid bringing us something they created, you know, and you just kind of look at it and go, man, this is beautiful. And then when they're not looking, you put it in the trash can, all right? Just me. I guess I'm the only one not winning parent of the year. So this is like, this is kind of how it works with God because, because our works compared to what God did on the cross for us don't measure up. They don't compare. And so once we become Christians, God doesn't just leave us alone to figure out the rest. And I think this is something common that a lot of people go through because we might even have a lot of people in our new church who say, man, Brandon, I was saved when I was five. I got saved when I was 10. I've been a Christian. Some would say my whole life, but, you know, you get the point. Like they say they've been saved, but nothing has happened since then. And so they live this life, and they show up to a church like this, and they're like, 
what is going, like, I don't understand all this stuff. I don't know all this stuff. And, and that's because it's like handing a textbook to a toddler. Like, of course they're not going to understand it. They're not supposed to understand it. But as they grow, if I hand you as an adult a textbook, I hope you'd be able to sort through it and read it. And guys, that's how it is. Like, we have a lot of people in our city who claim to be Christians, and maybe even here today, who claim to be Christians, but nothing happened after that. Like, you walked an aisle, you said a prayer, maybe you even got baptized. If you were lucky, they took you out for ice cream after, and then you're not sure what happened after that. In fact, some of us have the story and the journey that we were saved, and then we got baptized, maybe, and then after that, we just have a, what we would call our own story, right? Where we're finding ourselves, and we're on our own journey, and we're charting our own path. And I want you to know that maybe no one told you this, but like that's not how it's supposed to work. You don't have to go it alone. You don't have to charter your own path. God already has a path for you. Jesus already has a will and a plan for your life. And so we are to grow in that. The Bible word, if you're taking notes, is sanctification. That's what that means. So now you all learned a big church word, and you can impress all of your friends who don't give a rip. All right. So then he goes on, he, he talks about that, and I don't have time to get through all of this, but that's why we're going to talk about this in community groups. So if you have questions, uh, let's talk about that in our community groups this week. But here's number two. So the first thing he says, if you, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, you need to work out. You need to grow in that relationship. Then he says number two is you need to get your shine on, right? Uh, that's what it means in the original Greek. And it, it get your shine on, all right? He says you need to shine. Look at verse 14 with me. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, man. That's about to become somebody's life verse today that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom, listen to this, you shine as lights in the world. Then he says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I love this. He says the way that we shine, that can seem like a really, you know, like, oh, what does that exactly mean? But he says in verse 14, he kind of tells us a practical way we can shine, is he says, do all things. I just want you to underline that part of like, do all things, because that's putting this in a positive light. He doesn't start with, a lot of people think Christianity is all the stuff you shouldn't do, okay? But actually, Jesus was more about what we should do than what we should not do. And I love that. And the Apostle Paul does this too. He doesn't say, you know, just knock it off. Quit being so grumpy, right? Quit being such a, a joy kill, all right? He doesn't say that. He says, hey, do all things. Keep doing what you're doing. Just do it without grumbling. Do it without complaining. And listen, I just want to say this. Following Jesus is hard. I know you're not supposed to say that at church. Because, come on, because following Jesus is supposed to be rainbows, butterflies, bunnies. Like, it's supposed to be the whole thing, right? But I just want to tell you, I've been following Jesus since I was nine years old. 
and it is hard. Following Jesus is hard. So because following Jesus is hard enough, what Paul is telling them, listen, remember, he's talking to the small house church in Philippi. And they're, they're getting pressure from the outside. The Roman government is on their case. And they're getting, starting to get pressure from the inside. Because you know what? This is going to blow your mind. But the first churches that were started didn't have any Christians to steal from other churches. I know, it's crazy. Everybody was a new believer. Everybody was a new Christian. And that's how I like to read this. I like to read it as imagining myself as a new believer and a new Christian. So you can imagine, these people gave their lives to follow Jesus. And they're getting pressure from the government. And they're feeling pressure among each other. And now all of a sudden they're hanging out with each other, people they've never hung out with before. They're being told they're a family. Could you imagine somebody might have something to complain about? Anybody? Like I'd imagine they got some stuff to complain about. And what Paul's telling them is, do everything you do without complaining. Following Jesus is hard enough. We don't need to add grumbling and complaining on top of that. And so he says, like, if you want to do that, what I see in this passage is if we want to, like, cut out our grumbling and complaining, we need to watch two things. We need to watch our tongues, and we need to watch our thumbs. Because now we live in an age where it's not just our tongues doing the talking. It's our thumbs. Posting on social media, sending out text messages, most people think they don't gossip, but they also don't let people read through their text messages. Most people would say they don't complain or they're not bitter, but they're not printing out transcripts of their text messages. And, and they're not, you know, looking through. So I just want you to see that. Like, and he says here, like, shine as lights of the world. And he says, because you are lights of the world. He doesn't say become lights of the world. He says, you're a follower of Jesus. You are the light of the world. Like, Jesus doesn't say you got to do anything. You ain't got to, like, screw the light bulb in. You ain't got to replace the batteries. You ain't got to, like, do it. You ain't got to do nothing. Because you follow Jesus, you are the light of the world. He is making you shine brightly in the midst of the darkness. Guys, how many of you know Fredericksburg needs some light? I mean, I just, every time I pass by downtown Fredericksburg, there's another, like, uh, dark, new age, like, I'll just call it what it is, satanic place. Like, our, our city needs light. And man, I want 10 years from now, people to say, because of churches like Impact Church, the city's a little bit better now than it was 10 years ago. And it won't be because of churches like us, it will be because of Jesus. Because we shine like lights. And he says, man, hold fast to the word of life. He says, man, if you want to shine Hold fast to the word of life. Our Bible, guys, is words that give us life, abundant life. And then he says, and just be ready for the day of Christ. He says, Jesus is coming back. Be ready for that. I mean, let's be honest. Do we literally want to be raptured and go to heaven while we're complaining about something? Like, I don't want to be like in front of Jesus. And being like, and I told her not to do, hey, what are you doing? Man, the fact that like Jesus is coming back, like that should give us something to our souls to go, man, I want to use my words, my thumbs, the things I post, the things I'm about. I want to use that to shine to the world, the light of Jesus, because Jesus is 
resurrected. He is alive. And so a, a, a Savior that's alive gives us words of life. And that's what we should be about as a church. Well, here's the last thing. And uh, Gavin, you can go ahead and come up, man. And it says that here's the last thing to take notice. The third practical thing you can do is just rejoice. Just rejoice. Paul says in verse 17, he says, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul doesn't say you should be glad and rejoice because of your circumstances. He says you should be glad and rejoice because even in the midst of, of, of suffering, like the Lord has poured out an offering of his life for us. Guys, we should rejoice because Jesus is alive. We should rejoice because Jesus is Lord. We should rejoice because Jesus has forgiven our sins. We should rejoice because Jesus has risen from the dead. We should rejoice because Jesus is coming back to make all things new. And I want to encourage you today to do two things today. I think there are two ways we can respond to this message today. Number one, believe in Jesus. Like, believe in him, guys. Don't just carry him around like religious baggage. Trust him. Don't just believe in his theology. Believe in his person. Believe in Jesus. And if you're here today, and you maybe have spent your life as religious. Maybe, you've, uh, maybe you're not sure you're religious. Maybe you don't know what you believe. Maybe you're just sitting here like, this is crazy. Like, I want to tell you, because of what Jesus has done for us, you can trust him. You can believe in him. And that feeling you feel right now of like, man, I need to do this. That almost inner compulsion that you feel Maybe it's more like a pit in your stomach. Guys, that is actually the Holy Spirit of God compelling you to trust in Jesus and give your life to Him. But the second thing I want to encourage you to do is if you've given your life to Jesus, then put it to action. Display it. And I want you to pick one of these three things to do this week. Work out your salvation by growing with God. Like, just go all in today. Tell your community group, guys, I need to grow, and one of you is going to have to disciple me. One of you people, you're going to have to step up, buy me coffee, and teach me how to follow Jesus. Number two, start doing some stuff without grumbling and complaining this week. Following Jesus is hard enough. We don't need to add that to it. And number three, rejoice while sacrificing. This life is hard, and it is a sacrifice, but try to rejoice while we're doing it. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. 
If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.